greatness curriculum. Let's, 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 let's read from Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16. Can you put that up for me? Mark chapter 1 and verse number 16. Mark 1 and verse number 16. Praise God. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I want you to please say after me, say fishermen. Look at your neighbor. Ask your neighbor, are you a fisherman? <laughs> Everyone here this morning who is not jobless is fishing something. Yeah, 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 engage in something. And when Jesus will start his ministry, he walked into the downtown of his days. The, like in Lagos here, we have maybe Broad Street or Marina or Main Street, Victoria Island. He went there and saw people who were engaged in the main business of the day. If you compare it to Nigeria of today, the mainstay of the economy around Galilee was fishing. Just like we have the oil sector being the mainstay of our economy today here. Jesus went to that place and he saw people actively engaged in what they're doing. And the Bible says, he saw them casting their net into the sea for they were fishermen. In verse 17, then Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become fishers of men. Somebody say fishers of men. And the Bible says in verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further, verse 19, when he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. There's a picture that's painted here that Jesus called Peter and Andrew. They were brothers. They were matured guys. Peter, as at that time, was already married and he had his mother-in-law living with him. Yeah, so he was a matured businessman. But Jesus approached with Andrew, his brother, but he didn't stop there. He went a little further and he saw Zebedee and Sons Limited. Yeah. And he walked into Zebedee and Sons Limited because the Bible says he saw James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their father, and the other hired servant. Did, you, did we just read that? So he saw them. He went to Zebedee and Sons, Nigeria Limited. And <laughs> Galilee Limited. <laughs> and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the picture there, ordinarily, if you don't look, you know, beyond the surface, was a picture of Mr. Zebedee, an astute businessman in the fishing industry, with all his other, all his other staff, Mr. Zebedee crossing his leg, and Jesus walked away with James and John. That picture that you, you saw. And in your mind, you interpret it as in because he carried anointing. So we equate anointing to jazz. You understand? <laughs> to say somebody can just come into your business premise, saw your children, say, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And they will follow him and you'll just be looking at them as they're growing. 
You and I know what can ensue from that kind of situation. Either you are calling the police or you become the police yourself. Because somebody cannot come and carry children or sons that have trained and they are still going through training to take over this business. And this is a thriving business that could afford to hire staff. This is where I'm going. The calling of Jesus, whether to Peter and, and Andrew, who were grown-ups and, you know, married men, adults, or to James and John, who perhaps may be in their mid-twenties or late-twenties, the one thing that is central to that calling was that whatever he said there was strong enough for grown-up adults to see a life that is beyond survival. Whatever he said there made Zebedee think that these guys will turn out better if they go with this man than if they stay with me. The plans that I have for them cannot be compared to the plans that this man has for them. That was why he allowed them to go. The Bible may not have recorded everything. Don't forget that the Bible is written in codes. Yeah, You, you have to summarize what transpired in the space of time in one or two statements. Are you still with me today? But the truth is this. Whatever Jesus said there made Zebedee to say, this man has better plans. Can you let me look at your neighbor and say, God has better plans for your life and for your future. Follow him. He will make you fishers of men. Glory be to Jesus. I said, glory be to Jesus. The story of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, is a story of moving from pursuing how to survive, which leads to a greater pursuit, which is success. You know, we always move from survival to success, but we stop there. Not knowing that both survival and success, they are instincts that are actually preparing us for the real deal, which is the end which is significance. The calling of Jesus to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, or to Peter and Andrew, his brother, was a call to repositioning. A call to move from success, for instance, for Peter and Andrew, is a call to move from success to significance. For the younger guys, it was a call to move from survivor getting the right training from their father and all that to a shift of perspective. You can do a lot much more with your life than what you are doing right now. And there's one way to get into it is when your focus has shifted from survivor to significance. That was a calling that Jesus had for these people. So, becoming fishers of men was a grander vision. God has a grander vision in mind for you and I. Moving from fisherman to fishers of men is a grander vision. It's still about fishing, but there are only two things you can do with fish. You either catch it and eat it or sell it. One speaks to survival, the other one speaks to success. The more you sell, the more money you make. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. 
So is it that you eat it to survive or you sell it to have a, some sense of success? Those are the only two things you can do with it. Yeah. When it comes to becoming fishers of men, that's a whole lot. That's a whole lot. Because human being, a human being is the greatest asset of God on this planet. Anything you do to touch the life of a human being is something that will create immeasurable impact because you don't know what that human being is going to do to touch another human being, to touch a whole nation, to touch a people, a a, a group of people. Glory be to Jesus. Let's look at another scenario of another calling in the Bible. Don't forget we're talking about the greatness mandate. Moses in Exodus chapter 3, when you read from verse 1, had a similar experience in a different way. Similar experience of a calling, but a different way. The calling of Moses was very instructive also. Uh, Can you put for me Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1? Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1. In Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1, the Bible says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Before this time, Moses had had a great life. You can put it in different contexts. An okay life, a good life, a great life. He had the opportunity to be brought up in Pharaoh's palace. Yeah, great skills, prepared for the palace for royalty. You know, Moses had the best education that was available in his days. Yeah. He knew ethic and et- ethics and etiquette. He knew a bit of governance. Having been brought up in the palace, he understood diplomacy. So many things. He was a great guy. But all of a sudden, his life turned around. He became a fugitive and had to run away. And then he got a job. Shepherd. <laughs> became a shepherd. And just in the midst of, you know, nowhere, he was shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. And the Bible says, until he brought them close to Oreb, got to Oreb, the mountain of God. My prayer this morning is that God will make the Elevation Church Oreb, the mountain of God. Where people will come in and have a burning bush experience. Where people will come in and the dots will connect. And that they they will have a sense of direction, a sense of calling. And everything that has transpired in their lives will come together. And it will add up. And things will start to make sense. (laughs) Until Moses got to Oreb, if you saw him in the desert, you know you pity him. (laughs) With the way your life started. (laughs) You know, you just how did you feel like this? From Pharaoh's palace 
to just somewhere in the midst of nowhere. Ah, God have mercy on this Moses. Oh. But it looks like God has left him, shall? You know, because when he was rescued, everybody thought that God really wanted to use him. Somebody may be listening to me this morning. Your life may have started on a great note, very powerful note, great expectation about you. But maybe right now you're feeling like there's nothing to me. Everything has collapsed. I want you to hear me and hear me well today. Where if you met Moses in the wilderness, what would you have said about his life? He was brought up with golden spoon, not silver spoon, golden spoon. Yeah, in Pharaoh's palace. It was sheer demonstration of God's divine providence over his life. But it looked like everything just disappeared. But what we don't know is that God has a way of connecting everything together. Yeah. Connecting everything together. Connecting everything together. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> Moses, shepherding sheep, part of that experience was to prepare him to shepherd human beings. Maybe he had 500 or 1,000 sheep in his flock, but he was going to lead 2 million people out of captivity into the promised land. No experience is wasted. I need you to understand that. Yeah. No experience is wasted. Everything is connected together. Yeah. Connected together. Connected together. Our experiences can only become wasted when we choose to remain in a lower level of life where we are not thinking significance, we are only thinking success. We are only thinking success. When we, when, when we choose that point, we may be in the same place because our attention has not been grabbed by the one who wrote the script of our lives. When God who wrote the script of your life grabs your attention, it starts to give you burning bush experiences. Where you see something beyond where you have been. When you start to understand where God is taking you gradually. Somebody stay with me today. Moses would have thought, this is going to be how I'm going to spend the rest of my life. All the experiences in the palace will be wasted. God was sending him back to that same palace. Yeah. You know if you're a stranger in the palace, I've never been to a palace before. Even the devil will be playing with your mind. If you take that entrance, there's CCTV there. They will see you. They will just kill you. There are snipers there. Moses knew all the corners of the palace. Yeah. It was a familiar terrain. He grew up there. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. He spent his growing up days and his early adult years in all that terrain. Yeah. Even in conversation with Pharaoh, there are certain slangs and innuendos that he will understand. Because he grew up there. He knew everything. Who else should go and confront him? Or was it about gathering sheep and walking through the wilderness? He had that experience. God used sheep to prepare him for the Cassitrant Israel. If you have not shepherd sheep that will make your life easy, if they give you goat, you will kill them. Yeah. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. I'm just trying to let you know that God doesn't make mistakes about your life. Because sometimes we don't ask the right questions about our lives when we misinterpret things. Wherever you are right now, whatever phase or season of life you are right now, the dots will connect when you get your burning bush experience. My prayer this morning, that as we move beyond these eight years, the status of this church will become that of Mount Oreb. Yeah. 
where people will come. We've had many testimonies of burning bush experiences. You saw it in the video, but it's scaling up. Where people will watch us in the media and something will connect. Yeah. People will read something from the Elevation Church and something will connect. We'll get into a particular industry, do stuff. A member of the Elevation Church will show up somewhere and just what you are saying will make people shape their destiny. Will reshape the destiny. That as a member of this church, you walk into an organization, maybe you are making a presentation, you are consulting for them, you are doing something. The idea you are bringing on the table from the standpoint of significance will change the mind of the board to reorganize why they exist. Yeah. People who are only looking for Abuja contract and how to collect national cake will now become builders of nations. Glory be to Jesus. I said glory be to Jesus. It's very important that we understand that God often calls us in line with our gifts, talents, or natural inclinations. Call us along the line of our gifts, talents, and natural inclinations. So the skills you picked up in the different seasons of life will become valuable in your future. No gift, talent, or experience is wasted. That's what I'm trying to communicate today. That's what I'm trying to communicate today. Becoming fishers of men was a grander vision. God has a grander vision in mind for you. It's not just about being a fisherman. It's not bad to be a fisherman. It's a means to an end, not an end in itself. It's not an end in itself. So becoming a fisherman, or becoming fishers of men, was a grander vision. It's a grander vision. The fisherman is focused on self and survival. The fisher of men is focused on impact and purpose. It's a world of difference. Self and survivor, impact and purpose. And the lowest level of living is survivor. Yeah. If there's anybody listening to me here this morning, all the people who interact with this material after now, the lowest level of living is survivor. If all you're thinking about now is survivor, you are still at the lowest level of living. I pray over you today that God is lifting you to the next level. I said, God is lifting you to the next level. So you must move from survivor to impact. Yeah. You must move from survivor to impact. Moving from survivor to impact. In, in 1975, Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, and Lauren Cunningham, the founder of uh, Youth with a Mission, both of them Americans, they developed this concept that's now been popularly known as the seven mountains of influence, of societal impact. Seven mountains of culture of society, or societal impact. The whole idea is about how we bring godly change to a nation by reclaiming its seven spheres or mountains of societal influence. And some of us may have interacted with this several years before, but it's time again to remind ourselves that to change a nation, to change a people, there are seven spheres of influence that we need to engage. And God is always planting us in all these seven spheres of influence and the sub-tiers underneath them 
that's where a lot of us are operating now. Yeah, you see that you are, you, are, you are in arts and entertainment, in business, in education, in family, in media, in government, in religion. And religion, they, you know, put together social sector generally, charitable sector, you know, the different things that we do there. And either of these, all these have subs and tier sectors, sub tiers under them where a lot of us function. The whole idea is that the mindset that when God wants to start to use me, he will yank me away from whatever I'm doing and then I'll all of a sudden just find purpose is not a very true or correct idea. The, 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 the understanding I want us to have this morning is that you are already fulfilling purpose where you are. Purpose is not a destination, it's a journey. Yeah. You move into it, it unfolds, it unfolds, it unfolds, and then you develop the capacity to connect the dots. To say, okay, this happened so that that will happen. That happened so that this door will open. And that's why I had to spend three years here because except I was here, I wouldn't have been able to get there. Somebody say with me today. There are a few people that God will want to move from somewhere to another place. The same way he moved me from focusing on engineering and all that into becoming a pastor. But not all of us will have that kind of experience. Many of us, it's where you are that God wants to use you. And you must understand it and stay there and fulfill God's purpose for you there. In Isaiah chapter uh, 2, when you read from verse 1 to 3, the Bible says in Isaiah 2 and verse 1 to 3, it says the word of the Lord, uh, the, 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 the word of Isaiah, the son of Amos, that he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of God, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The prophecy is about on the latter days, the mountain of the house of the Lord being exalted far above every other mountain. And to the point that it, there's a divine attraction for people to come into it. Because we are taking charge in the different mountains where we are and we become the light bearers in those places. Light bearers in those places. And we allow the light of God to shine through us. So you must gain a sense of vision for yourself and for impacting your world. The big question is, where has God planted you? And are you impacting your environment where you are planted? Are you impacting your environment where you are planted? The vision of this church is to be that oracle, the place where men and women will discover destiny where the lines will connect, where we'll see what God wants to use us for, and then we're launched into the fullness of the things that God has in mind for us. A life that is spent only on a sense of survival or success can only achieve small. A life that is focused on significance is already positioned for success and all the trappings of success. I was saying in the first service that if you are a businessman 
and your biggest dream is to own a private jet. Poverty is worrying you. Poverty mindset. Why did I say that? Because a private jet is not an end. It cannot be a vision. It's a means to an end. It's a tool that you use for business. That is not your business. That cannot, should not be the vision of a businessman. I want to fly a private jet. <laughs> I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. Neither should a house in Banana Island be your vision. That is too small as a vision. God wants to use you to make definite impact. People who own plenty of houses, the people who own plenty of houses in Banana Island with zero impact, we don't know them, they will die like a chicken one day and disappear from our imagination. I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. They will, everybody, I mean, nobody will live forever. So I'm not, it's not like I'm cursing anybody, no. And by the way, it's not bad to own a house in Banana Island. All I'm saying is that it's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. When you focus on a life of significance, success becomes a natural byproduct. Yeah. It's a natural byproduct. It's a natural byproduct. Look at the people, I mean, some great stories that I've read before, somebody like Henry Ford, who just made up his mind and want to live a life of impact. When he developed the, the motor car, I mean the automobile engine to drive the first non-horse-driven uh, cart. It was expensive and it was only the rich people in America that could afford it. Henry Ford says, we're going to create an assembly line that will churn out the Model T. One color, one model, so that the average American person can buy a car. That was a game changer. Even his, his board misunderstood him. I think he had to start a com another company to be able to run the Model T idea. But that's the only reason today why we can still remember him as a person of impact, not as a rich man. Little wonder, I think after his demise, his son started the Ford Foundation. The Ford Foundation is one of the biggest donor agency in the world today. I met the CEO of the Ford Foundation at Harvard Business School, I think in, was, it, was that July or so? Yeah. Had dinner with this young man, a Chinese guy. And some of the things that I, because, I mean, as we prepare to launch the Peace Empowerment Foundation, we want to learn from everywhere. The kind of endowment that they have in place, just from the work of this man, runs into billions of dollars in endowment. They spend only 5% of that endowment for all the donor work that they're doing around the world. 5%. And that 5% is about 7 or $8 billion every year. How many organizations have 7 or $8 billion? Multiply that into Naira. It's in trillions. <laughs> and they are not touching the main money. So they have an investment uh, office that manage that endowment. Their, their mandate is to make about 8 to 9% every year and spend 5 out of what they make to transform nations. So Chan, the CEO, was telling me that he was in Nigeria two years ago for the first time. Uh, uh, if you go on their website right now, you see all the different uh, organizations that are supporting in Nigeria to do certain good work or the other. 
is just one person. One person. Just one person. That's why I said, as a businessman, a private jet or house on the, on the lake or something cannot be your dream. It's too small to be the dream of a member of the Elevation Church. It's too small. It's too small. Or is it, is it Bill Gates that we should be talking about? Somebody who just said, you know what? See, at 15, Bill Gates and Paul Allen wrote their first software to manage traffic in Seattle, their city where they grew up. And they made $20,000. They were 15 year olds. Go and read it. If it's about money making, as at that time, they should throw a party and just say, we have arrived, you know. Because that's how the average Nigerians want to think. It shows up even in our football. First 10 minutes, we score a goal. We somersault, we flip, and somebody will break a leg. And you still have 80 minutes to play. That's why we cannot over-celebrate at 8 years old as a church. Yeah. Lest we become like our environment. Because the journey is still far. And we're scratching the surface. Praise God. <laughs> Bill Gates. You see, you won't understand what Bill Gates did, except you've had the kind of experience that I had. My first time paper as an undergrad was supposed, I was supposed to do something with computer. The one or two computers that were available at the university campus then, when I went into the room where they were, and I saw the black screen. It was, it was MS-DOS, DOS prompt. You tap, and there's something come. And then you see something, and then you say, there's computer language. You have to speak computer language to the computer. The average person could not maneuver a computer system. When Bill Gates and his friends sat down, even the word Microsoft is two words. Microcomputers and how they can interface with softwares. Then Microsoft came in. How do we make microcomputers to interface with softwares so that the average person can sit with a computer and do in their own language? You don't have to speak computer language. Speak, do English. Yeah, and that's what we have today. Then computers then became something that everybody can use from all over the world. In a bid to impact life, it became extremely wealthy. That's why when the wealth came, it's channeling it in the right direction. You see, if you write Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good. If you put Bill Gates there, it will be correct. How God anointed Bill Gates <laughs> because now today, he goes everywhere doing good. He may not be healing physically, but he's eradicating disease. Prevention is better than cure. I don't know if you are getting what I'm saying. This is what it really looks like to live a life of impact. A real life of impact. And I want to provoke all of us today not to be consumed by our nation, the shenanigans and the political machination and everybody running after national cake and to focus on how am I going to live a life of impact. Let me wrap this all up today. Last Friday was World Teachers Day. So an organization approached me about two months ago. 
They said they're talking to some dignitaries. They want people that can nominate their teachers when they were in school for a legacy award. And they decided to approach me. They said, I should nominate a teacher that taught me maybe in high school or primary school for a legacy award. And on the award day, I will come and present the award to the teacher. Say one or two things about the teacher, then the teacher will be allowed to say one or two things about me, and then I'll present the award. How many teachers are in the house this morning? Teachers, can I say a show of hand? Can we appreciate them? So I dropped the name of my English teacher, English and English literature teacher at Government College Ibadan. He taught me in the mid-80s as an high school student. Uh, and, you know, he showed up on Friday. They communicated with him, arranged, you know, and all that, and he showed up. The story is this. This man, when I met him in the mid-80s, he, he was just one happy-go-lucky guy. He was in his late 20s or so, graduated from Obafemi Aolo University, he was a K-guide in university. So he had all those songs. So he'll be singing those songs to us. He will attract us. You know, young boys will love guys with swag. So he was a, was a young graduate teacher, you know, English teacher. He knew how to speak English, how to sing K-guide song. And then he was also our football coach. So he was like an all-rounder kind of guy. We were all flocking around him. All of a sudden, God started to use him. Then he pulled everybody together in the fellowship. I was a Muslim boy, so I wasn't part of that fellowship. I didn't even know what was going on there. Two of my friends were attending the fellowship, and one day they spoke to me about coming for a special event. You know, and I said, I'll try. It was a Friday evening. I just left Jumat service, and I was going back to my room, to the hostel. When one of them ran after me, I said, I want you to come, you know, da, da, da. And I eventually, I went. And I saw Mr. Oladili preaching. He had another friend, pastor, that he invited from town. Both of them preached, and they made the altar call. And I gave my life to Christ that day. He was a teacher, but not just a teacher. A teacher that allowed God to shine his light through him. He was able to pull students together, organize fellowship for them to give their life to Christ. For some people, it may not be about putting a fellowship together. It may just be about driving the right values that will make those students come and say, look, madam, uncle, I have this need. I have that need. And you are able to listen. Uh, can, you, can you put that picture up? You may not know him, but I want to present him to you. That's him and his wife. <laughs> Last year, he retired as the school principal for Government College Ibadan, eventually. Yeah. I was at his retirement party in Ibadan last year. He's spending the rest of his life still coaching and leading young people. So he has an organization that I'm proud to say I support, Youth Foundation, which gathers every Friday about 500 high school students, impacting them. Now, this man, it will surprise you, I mean, the last time he was in the UK, a lot of my friends gathered together. Doctors, lawyers, engineers. You know, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd probably still be in oil and gas. In the oil and gas, this man has sons and daughters. 
who are doing, who are now leading. I can say to you categorically, he can never be poor in his life. Some of us are committed to make sure that he will never lack food to eat for the rest of his life. Because he was committed to impact while he had the opportunity. And for the rest of his life, he's now committed to impact. You know the funny thing? He doesn't have a biological child. But he has all of us as his children all over the world. <laughs> all over the world. Yeah. So many of us all over the world as his children. I'm proud to say that this is not just a teacher. He's a father to me. Yeah. <laughs> and I just met him while he's on his mountain where God has put him. His own mountain of influence, which is education. And today, all around the world. In fact, when he came for the award, the Legacy Award on Friday, the guy who drove him in his Toyota Land Cruiser to the award was another old boy who is also a pastor in this city. Yeah, he drove him and his wife. I think he was one that picked them up from Ibadan and drove them down to Lagos for the award. That night, he was flying out to Canada because his younger sister is turning 60 and he was going to, you know, so he was the same pastor that drove him to the airport to go and fly. That's the kind of influence that he has. <laughs> I want you to help me look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor, it's time to shift to impact. It's time to focus on impact. Say success is not enough. Impact is the real deal. Significance is the real deal. I want you to lift your two hands to Jesus this afternoon and just say, Lord Jesus, help me to live a life of impact. Say to him in your own words right now as you open your heart to him and say, Lord, I want to live a life of impact. I want to live a life of impact. The